Okay, ladies and gentlemen, if you listened to our last episode, we were talking about Time, which is a great song by Hans Zimmer in the movie Inception. <laughs> Random side note. But I listen to that literally every day because ambient music and jazz. Anyway, um, so welcome back to Mindcast Podcast, where we have usually caffeinated brain cells that are bouncing off the walls. Um, not quite so much today because, you know, we had mud water, which is a coffee alternative. But yeah, we're sharing the things that we like and that we enjoy and that we have learned and hoping that it helps you guys benefit a little bit. And like I said, we're on this kick of time and realizing that time is finite. And um, our last episode, we talked about planning your life and looking at the end of your life and what you want to accomplish and working back from there. So we're going to continue that conversation. Slightly different twist this time. I think Reagan is going to kick us off a little bit because I see some books and notes and, and stuff. So I will let you <laughs> take the floor. So I'm going to begin this podcast with a, with an interesting question. Have you read the book A Canticle for Leibowitz? No, I haven't. Walter My read Miller list is massive. <laughs> this one, this one may need to get on it. But just a little bit of a flag. It's you know, it's sci-fi set in the future, fiction, blah blah blah. So you know, if you're not into that thing, hey, miss this one. But this got me on a bit of a journey. Um, that and several other books that maybe I'll piece together into a blog post one day or something about our relationship with time. So our last episode, we were talking about human life is finite, obviously. A human lifespan is around 4,000 weeks. Assuming you live to 90, which is pretty old, um, you're going to have around 30,000 days of life, mm -hmm. which is kind of sad when you think about it because 4,000 weeks, like a week can slip by pretty quick. So, you know, our lives are finite. And that, you know, that was kind of the whole point of that podcast. This podcast, I want to pivot that to a concept called the long now. And when we use the word now, what do you think of? This present moment right here, right now like this actual <laughs> second yes okay because a lot of people when you ask them when you think of now what do you think of they usually think well you know like right now like this morning or they may say well or like today some people will say all the way up to a week like now i think of like this week Whoa. like now interesting yeah so the concept of now is a bit fluid so hang on to that remember okay. that we're going to come back to that but before we do back to the a canticle for Leibowitz. It was written in the 19, early 1960s, and we mentioned this in previous podcasts, but at the height of the Cold War, so USSR, Russia, and the US and other nations are just like blowing up atomic bombs left, right, and center. It's absurd. If you go back and look at it, lots of people, more people in America died from radiation sickness than from other, like from actually deploying nuclear weapons, not in warfare, but like testing them out of, out in other countries so which is insane like the american people actually have suffered quite a bit from radiation poisoning we don't even realize it because they're just blasting these, these things off by the dozens hmm. and it was a real problem so this guy wrote a novel thinking okay what would happen if thermonuclear war were to happen and a thousand years were to pass mm -hmm. what would still be around one thousand years from now okay that's kind of an interesting thought experiment right off the bat i'm like huh a thousand years like where will things be in a thousand years and he's using the framework of nuclear war. So basically civilization has been destroyed. What are the few things that would remain? Well, one of them would be the church. In this case, the setting is a Catholic monastery. And what would that look like? <laughs> and it's this wild thought experiment of what would be left? How would people live? What would they think of us right now, a thousand years from now? Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, we don't think about the fact that in 1,000 years from now, people will dig up our cities and try to figure out what happened. Yeah. Oh, that's weird. Ah, my poor brain. <laughs> you know, it just really makes you think. Um, we think of time only as one way, but in a thousand years, think what that will be like as if we found, it would be as if we found medieval ruins right now, like mm -hmm. in your backyard. Mm -hmm. That's like people living in the medieval realm age, like can't imagine us right now, a thousand years later, and us digging up their villages and cities. Yeah. The, the, my poor brain just kind of <clears throat> went around on that one for a while, right? That's not even the whole point of the book. That was just like the, the beginning premise. But the, one of the key pieces being history and civilization is cyclic. Like it, it go, it's, it's a cycle. So they yeah. say history mm -hmm. repeats itself. History doesn't quite repeat itself, but some of the grand themes kind of do. Things rise and fall. So think of Carthage, Athens, Rome, Constantinople, Baghdad, Nineveh. These are all massive civilizations that rose and now they're gone. Rose and gone. And during that time, those people who lived in, you know, Nineveh thought that it would last forever. Mm -hmm. And when Alexander the Great rolls through Baghdad over 2,000 years ago, mind you, they roll up on the ruins of Nineveh and some of the cities. And they're like, we've never, it's like finding an alien civilization. We didn't know this even existed. These mm -hmm. are cities bigger and better than anything we could build. And they're lost to time. We don't even know who. Who built them like they didn't at the time wow. because they'd been built so many yeah. years before and the people who lived in those cities could never imagine alexander the great rolling up you know <laughs> what would have been like 600 years later and be like what is this wow like long long-term time scales we're not used to thinking that way and alexander the great probably never thought of how we look back at him and say whoa you know what a, and and it's going to be the same thing 500 years from now yeah you know or a thousand years from now these kinds of things, it's just like my poor brain went down this rabbit hole a bit. And this book helped start that. So really, one of the key pieces of, of the book, this book, A Canticle for Leibowitz, is how the church in, in history, in real life, has been one of the major, major Western institutions that has preserved knowledge mm. and preserved culture and art. Um, things like the writings of the Greek philosophers and, and some of their, their theater. Like We only have those because the church copied them down for like over a thousand years and preserved those writings, they would have been lost otherwise. You know, the writings of Aristotle is a good example and, and mm -hmm. a lot of other institutions that were preserved because the church, at least in that era, thought long-term. They said, hey, we should write that down because someone a thousand years from now might want this. Mm, and here we are. <laughs> and here we are. And here we are reading the works of Aristotle and thank your lucky stars mm -hmm. that some monk spent like most of his life probably as a scribe preserving that, like there are certain works, I'm, I was just reading about it, like there, there's literally one copy that made it Whoa. through the monasteries. All other copies were lost and destroyed. And that guy who sat in that monastery yeah. for most of his life, writing that thing painstakingly on parchment, making sure it was accurate, preserving it on a scroll and, and sticking it in a basement somewhere safe, never can imagine how he preserved one of the cornerstones of Western civilization, single-handedly. Yeah. That, that is, is incredible. incredible to me. Now, wow. all that to say, extrapolate mm -hmm. our lives out the other direction into the future, saying the same thing. What are some things that we might do that a thousand years from now could matter like that? Like, we don't really know, mm. but it really makes you stop and think. Yeah. Um, and so th that's one of the points of this book is it kind of cool for Leibowitz is how that stays with the church. That's one of the traditions they keep is preserving knowledge and how it's kind of, 
it's kind of humorous because they're like finding all these old documents from these ruined cities from like <laughs> what would be today and and preserving these like engineering diagrams and like <laughs> random receipts because they don't know what they are. They can't read them. So it's like, but this is important knowledge from the from back in the day and we should preserve it because that's what the church <laughs> does. I just find that, I think that's pretty awesome. Um, anyways, it was a really fun book. And uh, yeah, it's, if you want to read it, it's not, you know, a make or break kind of thing. But all that to set a bit of a stage for another book and we've already been going for like a while so we're going to keep moving here and that is this book um and you haven't read it have you no i haven't yeah i might have to borrow it though you're gonna have to put this on the list it's hard to find which makes me sad it's called the clock of the long now it's out of print um wait i thought he just wrote this no no this is from 1999 oh okay yeah this is 23 years old man this is like it's out of print? Oh, Back in the sad. day. Yeah, this is by Stuart Brand. <clears throat> I'm going to look for it. Uh, is actually a fairly old guy now. Uh, and he did a lot of things back in the middle of the last century as far as, yeah, just knowledge preservation. Really important figure. Wrote this short little book. I don't know. It's, you know, 170 something pages. The subtitle is Time and Responsibility, The Ideas Behind the World's Slowest Computer. <laughs> and uh, our brother-in-law actually told me about this years ago. And I looked it up on eBay, I found a copy, and I just never bought it. And then last year, I was like, hi, I should look that up again, because I'd just read The Canticle of Leibowitz, I read a few other books that were talking about these, like, long-form stretches of time, and how do we think about them, and the rise and fall of civilization, and, like, it matters, we need to be thinking in big time scales. It's like, huh, I should buy this. Bought it, does not disappoint. Wow. Anyway, I just finished the notes on this thing. This is, uh... This is a lot to cover. <laughs> so here is the breakdown. Okay. You ready? Yes. So, I just bought it. Good move. Very good move. Seven, $7. Podcast listeners, be like Austin. Buy the book. <laughs> I've bought so many books while we've been sitting here recording oh, it's, podcasts. It's insane. It's insane. And, and it's not the kind of thing, like some of it's dated. You don't have to read all of it, but like the concepts are huge. So here's the point. Okay. This guy, his main premise is number one, society is really really short-sighted, like really short-sighted. Our concept of now, back to that word, told you we come back to that. The concept of now has gotten shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter over the course of human civilization. And he documents it in the book how this is the case to where when we say the word now, at the most we're going to say is like <clears throat> this week. Like I, even like if I'm just like thinking how I think about it and talk about it, that's like the most. Yeah. Back mm-hmm. in the day, you know, you're a hunter-gatherer or a farmer, and you would say now, you may mean that entire planting season, you know, like <laughs> yeah. six months. If you were a king, you may say now in this time of our kingdom, you might mean a hundred years. Mm. You know, we do not think that way anymore. Our usage of time is so like <sighs> vague. Yes. It's really crazy. Anyway, continue. It's no, no, this is, yeah, this is really important. So this got me down a rabbit hole of history of revisiting Canticle for Leibowitz, of reading through the works of Marcus Aurelius, which I don't really recommend, by the way. His philosophy is just weird, but he has some (laughs) interesting stuff on time. Hmm. He's the emperor of Rome, writing in somewhere around 300 AD, and it's crazy. We can still read his personal musings. I never thought it would get published. It was just his personal diary. And he's writing things about how, wow, you know, it was just a blink of an eye when emperor so-and-so existed 100 years ago, and it will be a blink of an eye and people will forget I ever existed. Hmm. And he had it, a really and, interesting. Okay, he literally writes that like the flow of time is an inevitability, and it washes. It will wash me away, just like it washed everybody else away. And before I know it, I will be gone, 
and those that come after me will have to carry on what I'm doing here as this emperor of Rome. And he was he was a pretty good emperor actually. He did he he did a lot of a lot of good things. And probably never thinking here we are 2000 well, 1700 years later still reading those words and remembering him and being mm. like, yeah, time did move on. He's That's lost crazy. to history. And it's only by sheer I mean, almost chance that his writings were preserved and, yeah. and translated and now we can read them and yeah, it kind of messes with my poor brain because it's like so (laughs) meta because he's writing about this thing that's going to happen to him. And here we are reading now that it has happened to him (laughs) and being like, yeah, bro, like you would be completely lost to history, except for the fact that some, some of your stuff was preserved. We would like, you would be gone. You know, you would just Mm. wash away like everything else that time washes away. Like all Um, the thousands of other people that wrote stuff down back then. Yeah. Just gone. Yep. Yep. No one knows about it. So (laughs) we are going to get into some of this gets into the weird hypothetical, but it's worth doing. So <laughs> back to the book at, at hand, The mm-hmm. Clock of the Long Now. We're about to do some brain gymnastics, so be great. just buckle up. So his point is, again, human civilization, short-term thinking, very much so. And a lot of this coincides because of the digital era that we're in. Because he's writing this in 1999. So like the internet's just really kicking off. Computers are really starting to go places. And he says, okay, so... Think about this. Think of our century. Okay, we're starting. He's writing this at the turn of the millennium. Okay. Think of our century, 2100. So like, 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 what would that be? When I'm 100 years old. (laughs) Yeah, you will be 100. I would be like 106 because I'm planning to live that long. Right. Think of this century. Like what's going to unfold in this century? Okay, let's start there. And he he starts the book there. And he says, okay, think about that. Then he says this, the soon to be outnumber the living. Oh, yeah. Isn't that bizarre? Like human, <laughs> so the human population will soon, very soon outnumber who are alive right now. Whoa. Okay. So that kind of, I mean, this is like chapter one and then immediately reframes it of saying, Hmm, what, what world will they grow up in? And then he says this, we can do little good for our dead, like the people in the past, mm-hmm. but immeasurable good or harm to the unborn. Like those who will come in this coming century. Okay. Right off the bat, we're like already thinking like, whoa, we're getting <laughs> ethics and philosophy and like, how do we think about large timescales? Because again, when we say now, we think us. He's saying when we say now, we should think like our civilization, <laughs> like the next 100, 200 years, what will life be for those people? And there's, there's another good book on this, by the way, called What We Owe the Future. I disagree with a lot of the philosophical premises, but it just came out really good. There's some great videos on YouTube we should probably link actually on this that talks about the same thing. So, all right. So now he's kind of laying the groundwork of how we think about time. Okay, great. Now, chapter two takes a huge U-turn. It starts off with this. It didn't start as a law. It started as a prediction. In retrospect, it turned out to be the most accurate and consequential prediction in the history of technology, and it exposed the structure of technological hyperacceleration in the late 20th century. Any idea what he's talking about? Uh, maybe the alarm clock? <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, my word. No. Most accurate and consequential prediction in the history of technology. Computer? Internet? No. So this, this just blew my mind. <laughs> it's Moore's Law. Moore's Law? Moore's Law, 1965, a technical paper saying the experts look ahead. The head of superconductor uh, research says, we are able to cram more computing components as time goes on. Mm-hmm. So the number of transistors will double every, wait, is it every year? I think it's every year. It's every year. Yeah, it's every year. We'll double. And then wait. double again, and then double again, and then double again, and no, double again. That production 
I'm pretty sure I'm getting this right. You Google it if you're not 100%. The author is Gordon Moore, which is why it's called Moore's Law. And it literally is a law. Like it is the most accurate prediction of computing power ever made. Whoa. And it has held consistent since published in 1965 yeah. up to now. Yeah. There is no technological prediction that's been that accurate ever. Whoa. So why are we talking about that in chapter two? <laughs> I started, I was reading this book. It's like, what? And he said, hey, we need to change the name because it's an exponential curve. It's not Moore's law. It's Moore's wall. <laughs> if you look at the chart, it just suddenly goes basically straight up hockey stick right yeah. here. You can see Hold it, it just goes straight up. And he's like, hey, guys, um, note, remember, we're thinking now, we're thinking this century, and those are yet to be, and they, <laughs> the soon to come will outnumber us right now. Um, Moore's law or Moore's wall is something we really should be paying attention to. Technology is exploding. Civilization is going places really quick. We need to be thinking about not two years from now, like Facebook or four years from now, like Twitter, you know, these tech companies that are very short-sighted, extremely short-sighted. He's Mm. saying that has to stop. We have to be thinking about what about 20 years from now? What about a hundred years from now? If Facebook would have done that, what a better world we would have <laughs> because they built their entire business on short-term profits. If more yeah. ads we can sell, the more money we can make. And that has literally destabled democracy in the Western world. That's insane to think about that because is. of short-term technological thinking. He's saying we got to stop that. So that's the whole point of this semi-digression on chapter two about Moore's law and like, um, hey, this is really important. And then he says, thinking of a long-term thinking, Old people and young people live in completely different time zones. Like, yeah, they literally do. Like, like time zones, though. <clears throat> like their perception of time and how things work, completely different. Completely different, yeah. And we have got to stop thinking in blocks of like now, this week, and think of 20 years from now to try to bridge those things. Like, yeah. We, we can't. We can't, as a human species, whatever civilization, <laughs> like that's not healthy to do that. Mm-hmm. We need those longer form things to bridge those gaps and be those anchor points is kind of his whole point and he's using technology to make his point saying hey we're literally in different time zones right now Hmm. and he's writing this at like age 70 so he can say that because he's an old person you with me so far um yeah my brain is kind (laughs) of uh get yeah getting there yep it's 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 hard to think about these things because it's so like how do you even like what is time how do you even (laughs) think about it and all that stuff and then you start adding to it and okay so so here's all that it's fun here's here's where it starts really getting interesting so then after he kind of sets the stage with those things he says okay now (laughs) now let's define the word now what do we mean by now back to the title clock of the long now oh and by the way where does the clock come in and where's the slowest computer in the world come in how we're getting there it gets real good so in 1979 this guy wrote a paper and he was like interviewing people in New York. And again, this is in the seventies. I'd love to do this now and see what the difference would be. So he's asking these people in New York and he's like, do you like living here? Oh, sure. She said, this is the loveliest place I've ever lived. And then I realized that the here, quote unquote, she lived in stopped at her front door. <laughs> this is a very strange thought to me. My here in his mind, cause he's from a different place includes the neighborhood at least after that, I noticed that the young New Yorkers were just as local in their sense of now. Hmm. So when we think of our, our in space and time, mm-hmm. so we think of where we live in space. When I say here, referring to where I live, I generally think like my house, right? Yeah, maybe this kind of general area, but I wouldn't really think like the whole state of Tennessee, mm-hmm. pro- probably, or all of America. I mean, it, it would kind of depend. That's here. So that's in space. 
Mm-hmm. Now let's use that and think of in time. Yeah. When I say now, it's like saying here, but in in time. So now where do I see myself in time? And so he's so, so to continue on, said so he realized New Yorkers were just as local in their sense of now, just like they were in the sense of here. Okay. He said now meant this week, which is fascinating because this is 1979. I guarantee if you would ask that today, oh man, they would say now is like the next three minutes because things like TikTok have just squashed our concept of now <laughs> yeah, down to tiny. like, in, you know, we're consumer, again, we said this last podcast, but American culture is consumer driven. So yeah. it's like, all about it, satisfaction right away. Mm-hmm. You know, credit cards because I want to buy for it right now. I dare not have to take the time to pull cash out of my wallet. Oh like my. who has time for that? You know, <laughs> so it's all like right now. So this week, and I, I had to underline that in the book. I was like, okay, that is interesting. Anyways, he starts the episode or the the that off with that and says, "What if we think of now, but we say the long now? The long the now. idea to expand our concept of the present in both directions." making the present longer, the time continuum. Mm, okay, yeah. In 1978, this was published in a paper by a sociologist, proposed a simple solution. We expand our idea of the present, now, to 200 years, 100 years forward, 100 years back. Interesting. Okay, I'm with so you. So <clears throat> if I say now, and you, or if I say, let's use the word long now, and you were to think, yeah, all the way back to 1922, and all the way forward to 2,122. Yeah. That would really change how you think about life. <laughs> no kidding. It would fundamentally change so much of what you do, even day-to-day, not just big picture, even day-to-day things like, you know, the kind of house you would build. If you're thinking of a house that's going to last for 200 years, you're going to build it better than if you, you know, like it would change so much of how you go about life. All right. So now it gets even better. Okay. okay. So that's the long now. That's he's building his premise of the long now. This is crazy. Okay. 10,000 years is the size of civilization thus far. 10,000 years, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Cuz that means agricultural revolution, you know, happened around 8,000 BCE, however you want to figure it out. Right. This is somewhat controversial depending on whose number you get, but this we'll just use that for now. Empires and religions, you know, start coming into the scene. The city gets invented in there somewhere. Now, 10,000 years is not all that long. This is quoting from the book. Here we go. You ready? Mm-hmm. 10,000 years is not all that long. It's only 400 generations. What? Okay. It's now, hold on. It gets even better. Okay. Counting a new generation every 25 years. <laughs> so now let's pretend. Yeah. In each generation or in each, let's, let's take a hundred year block. In the last hundred year block, there've been lives that were longer than 50 years. Yeah. He's using 25 years for a generation. If you were, instead of generation, we would just do time overlap and use a 50 year, which is really low. That would mean two people would span each century. You have 10,000 years. That means there's 200 people between you right now and the beginning of human civilization. What? 200 people. That means, <laughs> that means you could literally fit them all in my front yard. What in the world? They'd be Everybody really between now and like Noah's Ark could easily, easily fit in my front yard. That's assuming a generation of 50 years. If you think each each 100-year block, there's people that live more like 80 to 90 years, that number shrinks to like less than 150 people. What in between, the world? Okay, so if you want to get even more crazy with it, you can say, Okay, well, it's really simple. The math is really simple. So counting a new generation every 25 years, 
four to a century for a hundred centuries. Four yeah. to a century yeah. for a hundred centuries. Ancient, quote unquote, Egypt is relatively late in the game. <laughs> Ancient Egypt, the pharaohs started 200 generations ago. Again, doing 25 years. If you do a 50-year generation or, or we do like yeah. lifespans overlapping, we're literally less than 100. Literally less than 100 people between you and the pharaohs that built the pyramids. Uh, they started around 3000 BC and built their greatest pyramids within 17 generations of founding their kingdom around the same time as Stonehenge, 2500 BC. Whoa. That gives you a whole new perspective of time. Now you're starting to see that. the long now. Yeah, yeah. You see how all these pieces come together. I was reading this book getting kind of confused. And when I got to this chapter, it was like, boom, it all comes together. Yeah, because so, 200 years, the now is only four generations. Okay, so you want to get more crazy? Sure. So let's assume a lifespan, each each 100 year block, you know, we'll figure overlapping lifespans instead of generations. Okay. 80, let's say 80 years, right? Because mm -hmm. lifespans were a little shorter back then, but there would have been somebody who lived that long. That means there's only 25 people between you and Jesus. Whoa. That means there's only 25 people between Jesus and the Great Pyramids. Whoa. <laughs> Actually, it'd be more like 30. So that means that that means there are 55 people between us and some dude building the Great Pyramids. 55 people. You could almost fit them inside my house, all of them. And you could literally talk to every single one of them and you could track all the way back to the guy who literally laid the foundation stone of the Great Pyramid. <laughs> okay, so the, the the whole now conversation is making a lot more sense. Isn't it though? Yeah. See, we it took it took it takes a second for him to build his case. Yeah. But okay. suddenly it's like, wa-boom. I see why he's saying when we say concept of the long now stretching a hundred years back, a hundred years forward. Suddenly doesn't feel that it's long. really not that. Yeah, if that's you not think, that okay, far. Grandpa, our grandfather is 93. He's right. in excellent health. We can almost stretch back 100 years right now. He's mm. born in the 1920s. Yeah. No, yeah, he was. He was born in 1928, right? Yeah, 28, 29. I think he's born in 29. I can't remember exactly. We literally have direct access to someone who remembers the Great Depression. Like, we literally have access to something almost 100 years removed already. That is wild. And you'll be able to do the exact same thing for your grandkids 100 years forward. So it's like right there, boom, you have your long now. You have your 200 years. You can touch it, experience it, go ask grandpa questions right now, which is insane to me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely crazy bonkers. And here's the other thing. <laughs> so grandpa grew up in Virginia and their church there is a really old Mennonite church and has been there forever. And he said- it was part of the whole like civil war thing because they were like neutral. The Mennonites were neutral. And he said there were people growing up when he was a kid that remembered the civil war. And he said there were people there that like had direct connection to the civil war experience. And I'm like, wait, my concept of the civil war is like that happened about a thousand yeah. years ago. And it's like, oh <laughs> no, he has there. living, literally living memory. He said that he really regrets it because he's, he was young at the time and didn't think about how insane that was and didn't really ask them about it. <laughs> what in the world? But like he would, he, if he would have thought to at like, you know, he would have been like 10, 11, he could have asked some of these old people in his church, what was it like when there was a battle literally in your valley and your church is like neutral space and you're trying not to die because like both sides hate you because you won't fight. And, and it's like, cause the Mennonites were neutral. I, I just can't even get my, my, my poor brain. It's just, yeah. Like I'm, I'm going to have to stop and think about this for like a long time. Yeah. My poor brain broke when he told me that. The whole generational thing, because when it, before I was like, okay, two hundred years, that's yeah, that's a little bit of a long time. Yeah, but yeah, when you break it down like that, like that's yeah. only what how what would that be like three or four lives? What a hundred years? Yeah, if you go by fifty, then it would be four lives. 
Two hundred years before lives. Yeah. Four lives. That, but it. But if you actually fig, if you're figuring <clears throat> generational gap, like what yeah. do they figure? A generation can be anywhere from like twenty five to forty years, I think, depending on how you count. It depends on how old you are when you have kids. But right. if you so if you figure if you're going by the generation or if you're going by life overlap, it it depends on how you want. I like to go oh, by life man. overlap because I like to yeah, actually connect that, to that. Like I was just listening to a podcast the other day about you know this guy is ninety nine, you know, and he's one of the last surviving guys to storm the beaches in in at D Day. He's 99. Like he's telling stories from the 1920s. <laughs> it's so incredible that we can like, grasp, like that we can hear those. Oh, but like no. also now, yeah. now I'm thinking into the future. Yeah. yeah. Like a hundred years okay. when I'm a hundred and you people wanna... are like, Hey, tell us about like the COVID-19 pandemic. Oh yeah. You know, dude. like all that stuff. Tell yeah. me about when like you bought your first smartphone, whatever like, that was. You were like, I remember when the first smartphone came about, like people when I remember, I'm a grandpa, yeah. they're going to be like, dude, tell me about dial-up internet. Like, you guys were savages. <laughs> I, I just can't... found a place in town that still uses dial-up. Oh, my <laughs> word. So, if you want to get even more meta, this thing is going on the internet, this recording. And if we take steps to preserve it properly, 100 years from now, our ancestors, whatever, could listen to this. Our, our grandkids. Our, our, our great, could, great grandkids could be our, listening no, to literally this Literally, right our now. grandkids. 100 hey, years. Yeah, literally 100 years, our grandkids could listen to this. That's crazy. They could Provided be. there's no, no nuclear, you know, apocalypse well, I mean, or something. You know, yeah. <laughs> Let's just pretend that won't happen. But you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. you could literally speak to people 100 years from now easily. You could literally make a recording on your phone for your children and for their children. And within 100 years, that could still be alive. Make sure it's in a good format. And there's actually services online where you can, like, store this stuff in vaults and, and maybe make multiple copies. And, like, yeah, they'll straight up. They could totally listen. They, they could watch your videos on YouTube 100 years from now. That is so wild. And the internet is finally getting old enough where I've seen people making videos where they made a video 10 years ago mm-hmm. and then they talk to their future self and now they're old enough, like it's been long enough Mr. that they Beast can actually do that. <laughs> so weird. Yes. Like, like, why don't we do that? We should do that, man. It's, it's, so now I think you're really starting to get this yeah. concept of the long now. So we were thinking backwards. Now you start extrapolating forwards and you're like, whoa, this is really important. Like at an individual level, but also for a society as a whole mm-hmm. to think like this. All right. So it starts getting kind of crazy. For example, uh, he says something like this. The trick is learning how to treat the last 10,000 years as if it were last week and the next 10,000 years as if it were next week. Such <laughs> tricks confer advantage. <laughs> His point being, if a people group or a nation or whatever can think on scales that big, it is a massive advantage. Yeah, it is. It is like for your society, for the health of your people, for for even like like science endeavors, for example, oh, yeah. are often they're they're long form projects. Yeah, you know, like some of the research they're doing in nuclear physics, for example, it will be potentially decades before we see direct benefit from some mm. of that stuff. I mean, some stuff that like just started researching in the 1960s, you know, mm-hmm. and we're just now starting to actually benefit from it. Sixty years <laughs> later, you know, a, a whole two generations later long form future leaning you know back to this one of these the other book i mentioned that that's interesting it's called like what we owe the future like yeah. we should be setting up the future with these things you know and it's just it kind of you can start breaking your brain pretty quick yeah no kidding um, it basically is like it's all about time scales like what scale you're thinking on and he said it breaks down into six no sorry this is freeman dyson who you know the dyson sphere Mm. concept uh, anyways really pay- famous physicist in 1950s i'm gonna say 
and he and he had this way of breaking it down because he was well known for like his long term thinking okay. of like okay if civilization's around for another ten thousand years what are the things that that human civilization will do I said well let's just extrapolate that we may run out of energy because the earth is finite eventually we'll run out so like ten thousand years from now maybe we won't have any more energy so we would start harnessing the sun oh yeah solar oh but maybe that's not enough energy so what if we built an entire sphere around the entire sun and beamed all the energy to earth. Like he was thinking like that kind of scale. He's like, he's literally like, he's thinking way like out there. galactic size superstructures. He's like, Hey, if, you know, humans had 10,000 years. Like we could totally do that. <laughs> we can do a lot. In 10, and, and it was years. just funny thought experiments. And he would publish these in like peer review journals of like, here's how it could happen. And here's what it would look like. And people are like, that's totally like baloney. That's never going to happen. He's like, I, but it's the thought experiment is so important. Yeah. Yeah. So back to Freeman Dyson. He says on the destiny of our species is shaped by the imperatives of survival on six distinct timescales. The first timescale is the individual. So very small, you know, your individual life. The next is the family. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now we're starting to really stretch it out. The next is your nation because nations rise and fall. They have life cycles. The next is your culture, which is going to be a lot more permanent than a nation. Mm. And the next is the species like humans, basically, <laughs> human civilization, which we've said, you know, 10,000 years or according to this book or whatever timeline you want to take, it doesn't really matter. And then the next is the whole web of life on the entire planet, like life as a whole. When you start thinking that just like these really big timescales. Mm -hmm. And again, this, you know, this is a secular perspective of like how life works and things. Sure, that's not the, what we're trying to say. Yeah. Let's stick with the point. I just found that really interesting. You take it, sorry, with the individual, and then you just start expanding and building and building and building. Yeah. And you start saying, I, you start automatically thinking beyond yourself and saying, mm -hmm. well, what about my family? What about, you know, the, the culture that I'm a part of and, and the nation that I'm part of? Like these <laughs> rise and fall of things. Yeah. Um, anyways, so. Wow. Okay. So he said one of the keys to, to this is things that have, um, that involve investment, but like have a slow return is actually mm -hmm. really important to mm -hmm. humanity. Yeah. We mentioned science. So he, here's what he says. This, oh, this is so, so true. Education is intellectual infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So is science. Very high yield, but delayed payback. Mm -hmm. It's like education. You're going to put, what, 12 plus years into one human before you start getting quote unquote payback. Yeah. Coming back to our other conversation in the last podcast about hustle culture and productivity, mm -hmm. the ROI of having a child is like really low initially. <laughs> it's not a quote unquote thing that hustle culture, you know, because it's, oh, it's not like super productive. It's like, yeah, because the, the payback, whatever you want to call that's like the <laughs> wrong word. But you know what I mean? Is like, it's, it's delayed. Yeah. And his point is some of the very best things are delayed. Mm. You only see them on big time scales. Raising a family. Like- it's going to take them 18 <laughs> years to grow up. Like it's a long term. It's a longer process. Getting a good education and investing in that. That's a long process. That's good. Good science research is a long process. That's some of the best benefits we can get in life is some of those big scale, long form things, not mm -hmm. quick. The best things are almost never really quick. Yeah. Is one of the concepts. All right. So we're going to have to keep moving, moving. We'll be here all day. His point then is. When he says long now in this book, he's thinking 10,000 years. Whoa. That's what he says. All so right. his long now is a little more than 200. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So they started with 200 as like a nice stepping stone, I guess. <laughs> All right. So now you're probably wondering, 
what does this have to do with a clock and the world's slowest computer? Mm -hmm. Well, allow me to tell you about the clock of the long now. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, this is so cool. Like, this just, like, made my day. I went so down the rabbit hole about this (laughs) thing because there's stuff on the internet about it, and you guys will instantly start Googling as soon as I tell you. So they filed a nonprofit organization called the Long Now Foundation with the goal of buying a mountain in the middle of nowhere, as far away from tectonic activity as humanly possible, drilling down to the center of the mountain, building a cavern, and installing the world's largest clock and computer that will run for 10,000 years without any kind of human intervention. That's really cool. <laughs> and the IRS, the IRS who gives out the nonprofit 501c3 filing was like, denied. That's the dumbest idea we've ever heard. <laughs> like that, no. And so one of the chapters, it's like chapter, what am I, chapter six or chapter nine, anyway, is literally opens with the response they wrote to the IRS describing like, why this is a worthwhile nonprofit <laughs> and explaining why we would build a clock that would run for 10,000 years. Cause he's saying long now, 10,000 years into the future. We were looking back 10,000 years. Mm-hmm. So let's look forward 10,000 years. Yeah. And the IRS was like, okay, <laughs> approved. That's really cool. Like where they actually outlined it and told the story. And so, so imagine being the IRS guy that like oh that came my. across his desk and he's like, what? <laughs> so, and here's the thing, dude, they spent years of research trying to find the perfect mountain with just the right kind of rock that will last and not mm-hmm. shift over 10,000 years. You know, the right kind of clock making materials. Like this thing is huge. You should look up, the, it's made out of like really special alloys and, and all this stuff because it has to run for 10,000 years. <laughs> it's insane. And like, I, it, they go into a little bit of the technicals of like the mechanisms to keep this clock running and like the whole systems. I think it's based on some kind of gravitational system or I can't It would have to, that. yeah. So yeah, I'm going to just read a little here because it's just so good. They list like the response that they wrote. He quotes in full. And then he says this, IRS approved of Long Now's nonprofit status. <laughs> he said, the lesson, don't hold back. The clock slash library, because it'll include a library for preservation of knowledge for the next mm. 10,000 years, etched on like, think like a record that you can read, mm-hmm. but like, but like that you can read with a microscope. So like they're etching books into these things and they can literally will last for Whoa. thousands of years. Whoa. Yeah. It's like microfilm, except on, on like some of the best metal that you can get that will never corrode and, and fade. Whoa. And then all you need is a microscope and you can read like all if you these. you know our language. Yeah. Well, they, they have like every major world language. So like they can put these suckers in a vault and like a dude could <laughs> dig it up in 10,000 years and totally learn all about our civilization, our entire history, all our works of literature. Like they're, they're preserving like the best pieces of art and history and things. So Hold it's a clock it. and a library all in one system in the middle of a mountain, mind you, in I think Wyoming. So the clock slash library is a extravagant project. The more over the top it is, the better it works. (laughs) If it wants to compete for iconic power with the mushroom cloud and the photos of Earth from space, it has to match their vaulting ambition. Let's split the atom. Let's leave the Earth. Thinking back to previous things that humanity has done. The great time spanning precedent is the pyramids of Giza, Mm -hmm. which it depends on who you ask, but they've been around for around 4,000 years. For perspective, they're so old. When Abraham, because of the famine, went to Egypt, Abraham, like before Isaac is born, like way back, Abraham would have entered Egypt and passed the Great Pyramids, and they already would have been old at that point. That's how old they are. Okay, keep going. Their massive 
referring to the precedent is the pyramids of Giza. Their massive monumentality defined when quote history began. Yeah, they they literally do. Like that's actually when we start thinking about history because it's one of the first monuments we can point back to that is mm-hmm. that old. They are a stabilizer, a frame of reference for any culture who cares to care about them. Mm-hmm. The pyramids also demonstrate the power of folly. You can't argue with them because they're not rational. <laughs> <laughs> and for those of you who have not seen the Great Pyramid, you haven't seen mm-hmm. them, right? You need to add it to a life bucket list because you, you've never seen anything like them. They are so big. It's like you walked up to a mountain. It li- literally, they are so big, so perfectly built. You've never seen so much stone piled in one place, clearly. Anyways, <laughs> and he's trying, this fellow who started, him and some other people, started the Clock of the Long Now, the Long Now Foundation, which is still going. It is a nonprofit. You can look it up, longnowfoundation.org, I think. Um, that's what he's going for. He wants to build the equivalent of the Great Pyramids. Whoa. Um, I cannot. Yeah, I can't even. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so how okay this clock is it like components or is it electronic clock is it like how and is it just a clock that's ticking down from 10,000 years or is it like no it keeps time it keeps time no no no, it keeps time based on like the seasons of the earth and where the earth is in its orbit and like tracking the sun and the moon like it's set to celestial things so that way it that way any anybody it wouldn't matter language that has nothing to do. It's not like it has hands on it on the face kind of thing. It's well, actually I think it does. Uh, it has like a tracker on it. That's counting the years. So it's like, oh. it's counting the millennium. So it's Ooh. like, here we are, you know, the second millennium. Okay. Then third, then fourth, like it's going that way, but it's tracked to astronomical okay. bodies in the sky. So like anybody, regardless of language could read that because anybody can look at the sky and be like, oh yeah, they're tracking it based. Like we can do that today. Mm-hmm. We can look at the great pyramids and be like, oh yeah, they oriented it to the compass. They oriented it to this, blah, blah, blah. Like we can see the thought process went into it. We can look at Stonehenge and be like, oh wow, this thing is set up to predict solar eclipses. Well, that's cool. Like they, it was a giant clock among <laughs> many, many other things. But one of the theories about Stonehenge is that it was actually a way of tracking seasons and the cycles of the sun and the moon and the stars. That's essentially what this thing would be, except a little more precise because it's yeah. like actually counting the centuries and the millennia and stuff. Like it, wow. like the bell tolls. I think it, I think they have, I think I'm getting this right. You may need to look this up, but you know, when you hear the church bells ringing, you know, yeah. on the hour, this one rings on the century, <laughs> you know, <laughs> what a flex. Yeah, it is. And then for each millennium, I forget there's some crazy thing that'll do for each thousand year mark. So like the idea is in the future, it will be like this thing. People will come from all over the world and be like, whoa, dude, like, like the millennium is bound to happen. And this thing's going to do this wild thing that people <laughs> from, you know, the early 2000s built into this. Once every you know. thousand years. Yep. It'll be a once in a thousand year. That is event. insane. I love that so much. <laughs> it, <laughs> it, it, it is a bit of a flex. I got to say like, and, and they've, they've definitely gotten a lot of people giving to it because it's like we want to build something that lasts. Like yeah. that is an innate thing within it us. Is, yeah. Like there's a part of me that's like, man, if I had a million dollars, like I would chuck them a couple thousand. Cause yeah. like, I want to help build something like that. You know, that that yeah. is neat. You know, and who knows, like maybe it'll break <clears throat> down 500 years from now. But the that idea <laughs> is, yeah, that would really be sad. There is so much more about the clock itself that we could get into. Um, and we haven't even touched on the library concept, like the preservation of knowledge yeah. and why that matters. Um, but I think we may need to save that for uh, for another episode. Okay, so a couple uh, last 
last pieces here, just because we should probably wrap this up. I, I hope that y'all aren't annoyed by a slightly longer podcast, but this is just so important. Yeah. Uh, honestly, we can't stress how important this is. So a couple things to wrap it up. We jumped towards the back of the book. To quote, it is no accident that among the finest leaders of the 20th century is a professional historian, Winston Churchill. Mm. Reading history, writing history, and creating history were all one enterprise for Churchill. <laughs> and the point being just how important it is to be rooted in where we've come from yeah, and why it matters and where we're going. Mm-hmm. Back to this concept of now, what do we mean by now? He, he's getting to the end and he says this, now is the period in which people feel they live and act and have responsibility. For most of us, now is about a week, maybe as long as a year. For some traditional tribes in the American Northwest and Australia, now is seven generations back and forward. That's 175 years in each direction. Just as the Earth photographs give us a sense of how the big here, like, you know, here as in here's where we live, the world, Mm -hmm. um, we need things that give people a sense of the long now. Mm -hmm. Um, We look at a picture of the Earth from space and we're like, wow, that's here. Like our neighborhood is the world. Mm -hmm. Well, we need to do that when we think of time as well. So a few other other odds and ends to, to, to end with. The great problem with the future is that we die there. <laughs> this is one of his points. It's like, hey, our lives are finite. Let's build something that lasts, you know? And then he ends with these lines. This present moment that lives on to become long ago. This present moment used to be the unimaginable future. Yeah. That's the part that gets me the most is mm. I just cannot grasp that. Like, it's so us now. It's so like, this is just now. <laughs> and we can't even fathom the fact that even a hundred years ago, this was completely unimaginable. Yeah. Like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. So, oh, so, like so, that's, that's kind of where I went <laughs> with the whole rant on like, I dove deep into like how books were written and like where like all of the information classification and how they did it. I just dove super deep into that the other day. Cause it was super interesting. And it, it kind of touches in with this is like, you know, couple thousand years ago people couldn't even write stuff down mm-hmm. you know i mean that just blew my mind and i can yeah. literally sit down and type a thousand words like in a heartbeat like is to write a book like anybody with a smartphone or laptop can do that but like then like if you wanted to preserve knowledge like they didn't even invent paper till like not that long it ago. was really hard <laughs> it was so really that's, hard that's the other half of the book we didn't even touch on but this idea of preservation of knowledge and yeah and why it matters and it so fits with the long now because if you have a long now concept you will put so much work into preserving things yeah like knowledge yeah. specifically education and wow. that comes back to circle it all back around to where we started this episode with the canticle of libluence how the church did that mm. The mm-hmm. churches in Europe, even now, have now have a beautiful concept of time. In my estimation, I've traveled through Europe a number of times, and I'm just, every time I'm blown away with the long-term thinking they have. Yeah. So we were just in Italy, in Milan. They have the Dolma Cathedral. You must go see it if you have the chance. It's, they say, some estimates say it's the fourth largest cathedral in the world. It's huge. They started building it in 1365. Okay, mm-hmm. a long time ago, Middle Ages. They did not finish building it till 1969. <laughs> 600 years, almost to the year. It was 600 years of construction on wow. that cathedral. 
and you can see why it's it's huge. It dominates. It is the focal point of the city. Like if you look at the map, it literally starts with that cathedral and then builds in circles around from there. Hmm. The church understood that, you know, at least in that religious worldview, you know, God comes to earth, which is like a really big deal. So we need to build everything around that. So like big time scales and like this really matters and we have to preserve this for as long as possible. So they would build these incredible cathedrals and systems and ideas and rituals and preserve knowledge. And they would build libraries and hospitals and all these kinds of things because it was baked into their worldview to think about the future. Like we need to be thinking about the people who will come a thousand years from now. Yeah. And, and that is so good. That's so beautiful. And that's one of the reasons, you know, there, there's a lot of hate in some, in mo- not most, but in some fields of secular historical studies that says the church was responsible for destroying a lot of quote unquote pagan works that they didn't agree with. And there are a few isolated cases where that, that happened, but by and large, the church took enormous effort to preserve things mm. that were not even Christian, like, like writings and, and clay tablets and all these mm. things that would have been lost to history because they were looking at this and saying, you know, the long now. Yeah. Like we like need they to grasp that. We need to keep this stuff. Yeah. This stuff is worth keeping, even though, yeah, it's not part of our religion and it doesn't even believe in God, but we're like, we're going to preserve it. And this monk, <laughs> hey, monk, you know, Jedediah, like you're going to sit here for literally the next six years and copy the entire works of Aristotle because this is the only copy we have left that we know of anywhere in the world. And we need to make sure we have another <laughs> one before this one falls apart. So please make sure you get it right. Okay. And he's like, uh huh. And, and so he sits there and spends like the next, like literally every single day, like it take forever to describe this stuff yeah. because they realize how important it is oh, man. to think like that. And, and so my point being, I sent a photo of us on top of this cathedral because you can climb it to the roof and the scale is just insane. And I posted it and be like, guys, like this is insane. I posted it to our family group chat and I said, um, you know, this is how long it took to build this. And my brother-in-law who has a master's degree in church history actually is like, yeah, time in Europe runs at a different speed. Like mm-hmm. the, it, it is different over there. <clears throat> and that's one of the reasons I love going to Europe actually is because you get this deep sense of, you feel so connected to things that happened mm. like yeah. 500, a thousand years ago. And it's just all around you because they it's part of their culture to be, it's baked in, mm-hmm. you know, and we, and we don't really have that here in America because we're such a young no, country. No, we don't. It's really young. Like yeah, the oldest I mean, thing we can find is not very not old. Not very old. <laughs> I mean, like the oldest building in our whole town, a hometown is like what, mid 1800s maybe? I mean, that's, yeah. that's literally, 150 there's years. two people between us and the oldest building in our town. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of sad. That okay? is a little bit. It's a little sad. So anyway, that's, that's a bit of a story about um, Italy and how, yeah, they just, they do, they think about time, or at least that particular church, you know, thinks about time differently yeah. and that's good. That's important. And we should be building things that last because of the people who come after us. Yeah. Those that aren't born yet will soon outnumber those of us that are alive. Yeah. Which isn't, it still gets me every time. Yeah. Like, that's it's just like my, it's mind pretzel. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, this has been a very long episode. Let me know what you think everybody. And uh, maybe we will, uh, yeah, hit some more of the things we didn't hit this time because of, because we ran out of time as usual. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, thank you all so much for listening and leave us a review. If you feel so led, hit us up on the interwebs, send us an email, tweet at us, whatever. If you want us to cover something that you would like um, or ideas or book recommendations or whatever, we'd appreciate it. And we will see you, hear you, you will hear us, whatever, in the next episode.